2: Hey, BTB buddies, this Shanda song episode is a good one. And Shanda is headlining the Comedy Attic in Bloomington, Indiana this New Year's Eve. So if you're anywhere in the Bloomington, Indiana area, head over to thecomedyattic.com to get tickets for the 8 p.m. or 10.30 p.m. show. And have some fun this New Year's Eve. And laugh, because it's going to be a good one. I have to mention one of my favorite podcasts. It's live from Detroit, the Jeff Dawson Comedy Show. Jeff is a longtime comedian and was my guest on episode 48 of Behind the Bits. Check that episode out. We hit it off and kept in touch, and I'm glad because his podcast is one of my favorites. Jeff gets great comedians like Paul Provenza and John Heffron on the show, along with cool stars of TV and movies from the past and present. Would you like to hear more about the most iconic movie of our time, E.T., The Extraterrestrial? Well, he's got D. Wallace on a recent episode to tell you all about it. How about Ed Begley Jr., or maybe even Carol Baskin? Jeff gets the stories you haven't heard from all these great guests and gives you social media tips along with it. Give Live from Detroit the Jeff Dewaskin Comedy Show a lesson and let me know what you think. I personally never miss an episode and I'm a podcast snob. It's on all the apps, Live from Detroit, the Jeff Dewaskin Comedy Show, and it's a good one. Check it out. My guest tonight is a Bloomington, Indiana comic who's performed all over the Midwest and is featured on the album on tour from Bloomington. And she was on the premiere show of Hunters on the Vice Network. She's performed at the Finger Lakes Comedy Festival, the Milwaukee Comedy Festival. And I may be speaking out of turn here, but I believe she may have been the pregnantest performer to ever take the stage of the prestigious Limestone Comedy Festival. I I think she might've given birth the next week. Now, the cool thing is, and I want to put this graphic up so I don't forget, she is headlining the often-talked-about comedy attic in Bloomington for New Year's Eve. So she's doing a, I believe it's an 8 o'clock show and a 10.30 show, and the 10.30 show, you get champagne and all that kind of stuff. But uh, totally stoked for her, and I believe she may be the only guest i've had on here that i actually performed on a real show with so it's pretty cool let's bring her out now it's uh shanda Song. shanda how are you
1: i'm great how are you scott
2: great it's uh great to have you on and uh i'm totally stoked about you headlining the comedy attic
1: <coughs> i'm gonna start this episode by having a cough attack that's
2: okay that's okay <coughs>
1: <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'm just so excited. I can't breathe. <laughs> yes. I'm very excited about it. The comedy attic is my home. It's my home club. Mm-hmm. If I'm not in my house or at Kroger, I am at the comedy yeah, attic yeah. and Jer- Jared has been the owner. There has been very supportive of me for a very long time. Yeah. It's I'm excited that he's seen, seen me improve to the point that he feels like I can, uh, headline, and new year's eve show so. that's
2: great and the the comedy attic has come up so many times and people i've talked to you know <laughs> todd glass is one of my favorite guests i've had on and yeah. we talked probably for a third of the episode about the comedy attic <laughs> and it's the place where people first of all big comics go there to work out their stuff And they have incubated some really great comics themselves, such as yourself, because they, because Jared is uh, a true comedy fan, along with being a comedy club owner. And that's rare these days.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great because it's such a... It's such an incubator is a great word for it. Where right there is where it's warm. It's cozy. It's an accepting area. The audiences are smart and Mm -hmm. well-behaved. It's the perfect place to test out new material. And it's the perfect place to record albums. I've watched so many album recordings in that club. And so many comics from all over the country come to Bloomington to record at the Comedy Attic. Because it is just such a good room and good audiences. And I, I feel very fortunate to be living in a small town in Southern Indiana, but then have this seat of comedy right here and I can run down the street and see amazing people. Uh And I think it's been extremely helpful to me in my comedy and not something that I would, have had if I lived other places yeah it's
2: it's definitely the gold standard of comedy clubs and uh, I gotta get Jared on the show sometime since I've talked about him so much but yeah (laughs) that'll be another show so let's back up a little bit because I did mention that you were Super pregnant. I, I guess you can't be any more pregnant than you already are, but you were due very soon uh, yes. when you uh, did the Limestone Festival. I think that was the first time in 2018. Is that right?
1: Uh, yes, that. So I started comedy when my oldest son was a year old. Okay, and I have since had two kids, mm-hmm. and the the first my second kid <laughs> was my son was born in 2016 and there's a contest at the comedy attic every summer
0: mm-hmm.
1: and i was in that contest and i was progressing as <laughs> was my pregnancy and yeah. i was like okay <laughs> what are we going to do here and the show for the semifinals was was wednesday night mm. and i did the show and i my water broke thursday morning oh
0: wow and he
1: was born on thursday <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and i had been eliminated so the audience uh-huh. knew they were like this lady is not going to be around next week let's not even yeah. get her through <laughs> and so i'd been eliminated but typically if someone's eliminated in the semifinals, which is what that was mm-hmm. jared will say why don't you come back and do a guest set on the finals
0: mm-hmm. because
1: they're down to just three comics to fill time and i had to um, call him a couple days later and be like I'm not making that show
0: yeah.
1: <laughs> <I'm> like, uh, <laughs> I had a baby <laughs> several days ago there's no way I can be in public right now yeah and so I did that and then in 2018 was the year that I made it into limestone and I knew that it, it was going to be very close mm-hmm. and I went so the the festival was on Thursday Friday Saturday I went to my doctor on Thursday. And I was like, do I have three days? <laughs> and yeah. she was like, I think so. And she was actually in the audience for the, one of the biggest shows I had that was at the theater downtown. Uh-huh. <laughs> my, my my obstetrician was in the audience, which was so funny. I didn't know at the time she came to, up to me after I was like, I would have shouted you out on stage. Yeah. I was due. My due date was four days after limestone. And mm. she ended up, she was late by 10 days. So I was fine. Yeah. But that's another thing to say about Jared and Madelano Martin, who also runs Limestone, because I got in and they were like, can you do it? And I said, yes. And that was the end of it. Mm-hmm. There was no like questioning. And they just knew if it came to me saying, I'm in labor right now, I can't do it. They would figure it out. Mm-hmm. And there, that's something to say because- yeah.
0: Yeah, it, really it, it would is. have been
1: so easy to be like, yeah, we'll catch her next year. Mm-hmm. She seems a little busy, but they left that decision to me and believed me when I said I could do it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, that's the kind of community that Bloomington has. All, all of my other fellow Bloomingtonian comics, our scene is so tight and we're all friends uh, that if something would have happened, they would have said, absolutely, I'll step mm-hmm. up and help you out. If my water broke, would would have broken on stage, somebody would have taken me to the hospital yeah. in a second. Not that I guess... I don't know. I don't know other scenes that they leave you in <laughs> leave you on stage to give birth to a baby. I'm just saying we're a very supportive scene and I'm thankful for it all the time. Well, there
2: are probably some scenes that would just leave you sit there. <laughs> yeah. It's funny about cuz you you mentioned your youngest was uh, 3 years old before we started and yeah. my grandson's 3 years old and it's amazing what they've done with the whole giving birth thing now because we flew out because my daughter was in the dc area we flew out for the birth and she was not feeling like she was gonna give birth in that week that we were out there so she went to her doctor and her doctor said when do you want to have the baby (laughs) <laughs> and brought her in on Sunday and induced her, and then there's the baby. So it, it's changed yeah. quite a bit because my my wife was, I think she was about 10 days overdue on my daughter. And yeah. I remember I worked at Wendy's at the time. I was a manager at Wendy's, and the, I took the week off after she was supposed to give birth. So she actually went beyond that, and I was going back to work. On Monday and then she went into labor on Saturday so they gave me another week off it was was a very nice franchise of Wendy's so they were good yeah that's great yeah
0: (laughs) yeah
1: that was our situation my husband was off and then he went back to work because she was 10 days overdue and then at 14 they're like we're done get in here and we're inducing you yeah and in the 80s when I was born uh, my mom said I was three weeks overdue. Yeah. And I'm like, yeah. on what planet? They just, <laughs> they induced her and it didn't work and they sent her home for another week. And yeah. I'm like, nope. So the eighties were the dark ages. I think. Yeah. <laughs> I feel every time I, mean, I have never respected my mother more <laughs> than when she told me that as I'm sitting there overdue, I was like, this is miserable. She's like, you don't even know.
2: <laughs> yeah. You, you you don't know. Yeah. That's not This is payback. So one of the one of the things that's unusual about you is, first of all, people with kids tend not to get into comedy. I did that. My, my kids were grown by the time I started. And so you had a one-year-old when you started. What was it yeah. that compelled you to start doing stand-up comedy when you've got a one-year-old at home?
1: Um, mania? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> uh, I have... I've always been a little bit of a pile-my-plate-too-high kind of person. Uh-huh. I, even when I was younger, I was in a dozen extracurriculars. Like mm-hmm. I just wanted to do a little bit of everything all the time and be very busy all mm-hmm. of the time. I thrive in that. And if I don't have anything to do, I just go a little crazy <laughs> a uh-huh. little bit. But I had... I did musical theater all through school. I did a little bit of group improv with, with some of my high school friends. We did a couple shows where we just ripped off whose line is it anyway games. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I had an interest in comedy and then what did it was that I was working and one of the board members of my place of work came in and she had started comedy. And I was like, Oh, that's really interesting. Because Mm -hmm. I went to the comedy attic all the time. I, I, Loved going there. I loved watching comedy, and there was a little back of my mind. This would be fun to do, but I also want to be very prepared all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and so she <laughs> mentioned to me that the way she got into it was by taking an extended learning class through Ivy Tech, oh. a stand up comedy class. And I said, Oh, that's something to try. Why mm-hmm. not? And I was about to turn, I had just turned 29 and I was like, last year my my twenties, let's do something. Yeah. And so I signed up for this class and I took it and you wrote a minute of material every week and then performed it in front of your class and got feedback. And then by the end of it, you've got five minutes and they ended the class by doing a show at the comedy attic. Mm-hmm. And that was it. Like I did that show. It went well. Mm-hmm. Um, and enough for me to be buoyed into continuing mm-hmm. and so that's what happened and the next the first open mic i ever met, went to the next time i got on stage was at a coffee shop and i brought my son yeah <laughs> it was like <laughs> i just was like okay this is the thing that and i i don't know I I was like, let's at a coffee shop. It's like 7 p.m. I'll bring my friend. My husband was working late. So I'm like, my friend will come with me. She'll hold the baby while I go up on stage. It's just five minutes, whatever. I brought him to the co- coffee shop. It's insane to me that, <laughs> that I did that. Let, no way. And... It, but I did, and he, my friend had to take him outside Was when I was on stage because he was, like, not <laughs> mama, into being mama, able to yeah. hear me and see me and be away from me. So she took him, stood outside. I did my crummy five minutes, got off stage, and that was it. And I've done other – there have been nights that I really – I was getting ready for a show, and I really needed to do the open mic at the comedy attic, but my husband was working late, mm. and I have driven to the comedy attic, put a movie on in my minivan – had one of my fellow comics come downstairs, sit in my minivan with my kids while I went up stairs, <laughs> did my set, and then came back in, got in my van, and went home. Wow! And I've done that. I've done that probably three times. That is, and commit. I don't know if it's good parenting, eh. but it is commitment. <laughs> yeah, yeah.
2: As long as the kids aren't in danger, they should experience yeah. lots of things. That's yeah. why I do. They're mine. safe, and yeah.
1: yeah, yeah. So I've really just been like. If this is something I want to do, I'm going to figure out how to make it work. Mm-hmm. And the only thing I can say about why I didn't say, I'll wait till they're teenagers or whatever. I want to do this. I feel inspired to do this and mm-hmm. I'm going to make it work. Mm-hmm. And fortunately, I have a husband who is a hundred percent on board. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Go drive. Especially those first years where I'm driving out of town to do three minutes
0: mm-hmm. for
1: no money and then driving back. It's a little better now that I'm getting paid. Yeah. <laughs> and, but... <laughs> Like at any point, he could have been like, "Can you not? And yeah. that would have been a reasonable that would have been reasonable of him, but what? he never did and is very supportive, which is key. I like without him being a an onboard partner in this, mm-hmm. I would never be able to do it. So mm.
2: are you able to yeah. do comedy while when he's there in the audience?
1: Yeah, okay. yeah it doesn't And I do have se- I have several jokes about him and yeah. any joke that I have about him I run by him mm. and tell him and yeah he's n- never once told me not to do a joke mm. So I made. Yeah. Uh-huh. I
2: actually made my. I kind of drugged my wife into a lot of the first open <laughs> mics that I did, and the only reason was is I ne- I just never wanted to be the worst one, and so yeah. I'd only <laughs> ask one question after the show: was I the worst? And yeah. and then you know after enough of not being the worst, and she, her saying you were actually pretty good tonight. I, th- then after that, I was like, okay, you don't have to come. You can come if you yeah. want, but, but you don't have to come. So yeah, yeah it was, it's good to, it's good to get that spousal commitment. And it's, we didn't have, kids at home when I did it, but still going to an open mic, I think where the drop comedy club is in South Bend. And you know what walks in there sometimes I've had a guy come in and take a drink of my beer and run out before. And it's a weird, it's not there anymore. It's actually in a hotel downtown, but where it was, my wife would drive separate and I'd walk her out to the car and make sure she was okay. But yeah, it's, it is a bit of a commitment for your husband to not only support you but also juggle three kids while you're going out and doing it that's great
1: yeah yeah he's he's been great for it and he doesn't get to see me very often Mm -hmm. obviously (laughs) but when he does he's been good with the good with the feedback and and I'll always go to him when I'm working something out and at him mm-hmm. and he's sounds, you know, where you're going right, with right. this or whatever. So he kind of, he's good at knowing how to direct me yeah, or, um, or not, or just sit there <laughs> and absorb and let me yeah. bounce it off of him or whatever. And, and um, I think
2: a good spouse yeah. really wants you to... To succeed and not look stupid, so they're pretty honest because I bounce stuff off my wife, and she's no way, and other stuff. She's yeah, that's all right, that's all right. So yeah, I I feel like that having that type of support system is really great when you are in a partnership like that and raising kids, especially that's big. Yeah.
1: Now I knew you... I was doing all right when he started inviting his friends to my shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, okay, so now he's not embarrassed. By yeah. <laughs> like yeah. I've gotten good enough. He's okay. Uh, he's okay. Inviting other people. Right. <laughs> too.
2: So let's think about if you were, s- say you were somewhere else besides Bloomington, say you're in Lincoln, Nebraska, and they don't have a, comedy club or they don't have anything that's like a comedy attic would do you think you would have still stuck with it or do you think the comedy attic was something that kept you
0: going
1: that's difficult to say because i i'm a little bullheaded in that way Mm -hmm. that as long as i was somewhere where i was getting an occasional good show i may have continue to hammer it out but I don't know because the support of the attic and and being able to do shows there and just watch a lot of comedy Mm
0: -hmm. helped
1: me improve so I think that without it I definitely would not have improved Mm -hmm. as quickly as I have and obviously I wouldn't have had the opportunities but whether or not it would have prevented me from continuing at all it's hard to say Mm -hmm. so I don't know I'm pretty bullheaded so maybe I would have just still done it. Yeah. Definitely Not, wouldn't have had s- so many awesome experiences. Yeah.
2: Yeah, for sure. And um thinking about those first sets that you did and how you are now, how much like the person that was on stage when you first started are you now?
1: Pretty similar, I think. I think that what I've tried to come away from is doing only parenting jokes and being a mom jokes and there is value in that and there is an audience for that for sure I've had many audience members come up and tell me like oh I'm a mom I remember all that stuff especially when I was pregnant and I was just like I don't like being pregnant
0: Hmm. everybody
1: has to say that it's a miracle and you love it but I'm here to tell you that this sucks (laughs) and And I got to the point, most of my material was mom-related, kid-related, parenting-related, and I didn't want that to be the case. I didn't want to have to lean on that. I also want, I don't want my kids to feel like I've used them as a prop, you know, Yeah. yeah. and as they get older. And so that has changed a little bit. I've tried to diversify the types of jokes that I tell, but as far as style, like, I was always a little – I feel like I'm a little all over the place as far as I'll do some shorter, quicker jokes and Mm -hmm. then a little bit more Mm story-based and then a little bit more absurdist. But it's hard to reflect on your own comedy and try to define yourself. That's why I hate writing bios.
2: (laughs) Yeah, no doubt.
1: (laughs) But, yeah, I think I'm definitely more comfortable on stage and a little more – Relaxed and myself, and less putting on kind of a caricature of myself Mm -hmm. just out of nervousness. But I will say, I haven't gone back and watched any year one or two videos in a very long time yeah (laughs) so who knows maybe I would feel differently if I did that
2: yeah and there's no reason to do that with all that you had that you got to see at the comedy attic and we all have our favorite famous comics but did any comedians come through that maybe weren't quite as a household name that came through and really inspired you to be a better comedian
1: yeah, many And uh, the first names that come to mind are Beth Stelling. She's just unbelievable. And Tom Takar, who is from Bloomington, mm. but also has made me laugh until I cried almost every time I've seen him. Yeah. And there have been just, I, I don't think I've seen a bad show. Because yeah. even shows that didn't go as well, there's something to them. You mm-hmm. know, they're where they are for a reason. And even people who I'm like, this isn't really my style. hmm I I can get something from watching them, but yeah, Beth Stelling was one of the ones that I watched right at the beginning and I was like, she's it. She's incredible. Yeah, And yeah, there have been a lot of great ones that I've seen and even just watching some of my peers and people coming into feature who -hmm. are just killers Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I'm like, how are you? How are you featuring right now? You should be, uh, Caitlin Palufo, the mm-hmm. first time I saw her, and I think she was at the Limestone when I was really pregnant, uh-huh. and she just blew everybody away, and she has headlined since, and yeah. she's so funny. That's one of the great things about watching shows, because we get these incredible features too. Yeah, People who are smart and hungry, and mm-hmm. just so good.
2: Yeah, it's funny. I've talked to a, a few comics that that regularly headline, and they're they think of. Feature should know their place. They should only take it up to a certain level. And then other comics I talked to want them to try to be funnier than them and really bring it. And it's funny, though, I, I think the headliners that really want you to bring it were probably bringing it when they were featuring too.
1: Yeah, anybody who's going to tell a comic that goes before them, pull back a little bit. Like yeah. That is. <laughs> that comes from either... A huge ego, or like some crippling self-esteem issues. Yeah, no <laughs> like, doubt. No I doubt. Can't, yeah, I like, for for New Year's when I'm there, I w- I was choosing who was going to who's going to be on the show with me, and I picked David Brooks from Indianapolis, who kills every time I see him, and my friend Stephanie Lockbealer, who just crushes all the time. And I'm like, a- as I asked them, I was like. Oh shit! Am I gonna bury myself? Yeah. <laughs> there, there's a chance that I just got myself in some trouble, and so it, it's making me a little hungrier. Yeah. Like I I need to bring myself up to to make sure that I am at my best, uh-huh. and then this show is going to be amazing beginning to end. If right. that's the case, like I'm not going to pick somebody because I think that I'm going to be able to dunk on them. Yeah, so that, that's sad. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I like yeah. that. I, I like that analogy. That's good. That's good. I don't want to dig. People that go to the show are going to see it, but I don't want to dig into your set so much that you give any of it away. But you know, the the headlining set that set for a special night like New Year's Eve. I know you've probably been obsessing about it and all that kind of stuff. So how much effort and time do you think has gone into the set that you are about to perform in about 30 days?
1: I would say that some of the jokes, like I would say the oldest joke that I have in there is probably three years, Mm -hmm. three and a half years. And so those are that would be when I started on some of these things and there's a bunch of stuff that up to that point I've cut, I'm no longer interested in doing you know, things about pregnancy or parenting or things like that, that I've just moved beyond mm-hmm. even though I like some of those jokes mm-hmm. and I have thought about maybe bringing some of them back for this, but yeah, so that's about the age of, of the majority of this stuff. And I obviously took some time off during the pandemic when everything was closed. Yeah. The comedy attic closed back or opened back up in June.
0: Mm-hmm. And
1: I was there June of 2020. So it was just a few months. And I did yeah. do a few Zoom shows. I don't know why. Because <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> it, it was, uh, I, was uh, I an act too. of desperation. Yeah. yeah. It was, it, it's not good. It didn't it feel cool. great. Yeah. No. But I, yeah, the majority, some of the jokes are just a few months old. For better or for worse, I write a lot. And mm-hmm. I turn over material maybe too quickly. But I have to feel good about it. Mm-hmm. I have to feel excited about it. And I get bored with my own stuff a little faster than maybe would be best for me.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: But it does mean that I had a lot of material to pick from for this. And I'm still shuffling and figuring out what what feels best and what fits best with all the rest of it. So I don't know. I have my master list and then who knows where I'll land Mm -hmm. in the next couple of weeks as I figure out what I want to cut or keep.
0: Yeah.
2: Yeah. What's your worst experience as far as standups concern?
1: I'm very fortunate that I haven't had a lot of really bad experiences. Uh I've had, do do you mean more like bombing related? It could be anything.
2: (laughs) Audience uh, member throws a glass at you or the booker turns out to be a jerk or whatever. Any of those types of things.
1: Yeah, I haven't had anything crazy like that in an audience, m- mostly because that would never happen to the comedy addict for one. And I just, it's not really, ha- I'd have, I've had some hecklers, mm-hmm. but not really anything terrible. All the bookers that I've worked with have been fine. Some of them have been great. And mm. I do, the worst thing I can think of, and is I, so the very first joke I wrote that was like, oh, this is a closer, was this joke that is about it's me saying so other parents sometimes I can tell which kid is their favorite and I like to go on Facebook and try to figure out which kid is their favorite by the photos they post
0: mm-hmm. and
1: some people are subtle about it and have a certain 50% pictures of this one 60 pictures of that one and that's not too obvious one person is so obvious about it she has a whole album that's called my family and it's all of her kids and her husband and then she has a separate photo album called my angel and it's only (laughs) pictures of that kid and i know that kid died a year ago but that's still just way too obvious and it I never felt super great about it. When I wrote it, I was talking to a friend of mine and I was like, is this too much? And he was like, no, you have to say that. And then I did and it just, it went so well. And I'm like, now I have a closer. And so I did Uh it for probably a year and a half. And then I did a show. So my dad and I produce shows at um, bars and wineries up in my hometown together. Mm. Sometimes Mm. he's a drummer, so he has equipment. Mm -hmm. So he brings the equipment and I bring the comics. And uh, I did it there. And then I realized that my dad's cousin was in the audience and she had lost a grandchild recently. And I I had just a pit in my stomach. And I'm like, all right, this joke is no longer who I am. Uh And I dropped it, which was hard because it was my closer. Yeah. Yeah. So I got to get some. Now I have to write something else. And so that just feeling so horrible about that (laughs) and. I started the joke and then I realized she was there and I was like, I can't stop now.
0: Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> and just kept on with it. So that stands out in my mind as a point that I was like, okay, do I do I hold on to this joke because it does well or do I let it go because it doesn't feel good to me anymore? Mm-hmm. And so I let it go. And and I've had some comics be like, Man, why'd you get rid of that? Because you spend five minutes talking about how you're a mom and uh, your kids and then you drop this curveball on people and i'm like i get it but structurally structurally i it's good and i'm able i was able to be like okay what works with it and can i write something that i feel good about in this Uh structure yeah which i have done (laughs) yeah So,
2: well it's it's a perfect misdirect it's just it's great thinking about your where was i going i'm losing myself think think about where you uh are going as far as this this headlining thing. Do you feel like you want to put more effort into stand-up comedy now and that you want to maybe travel more or make it more of your life, or do you feel like that you just want to stick around in your region and keep it up that way?
1: That's the question. Yeah. <laughs> That's the question I have every day. Is like, what do I aspire to? And should I be aspiring to that? And so I book. I book as far as I can go and be back for my kids mm. for the next school day. I wedge whatever I can within this insane schedule that my husband and I have. He works a lot, and my kids are in sports and things like that. And so. I do as much as I can within that framework. And we have gotten to the point where I've done some things that are out of town. Like we went to Nashville and we took the whole family and Mm. I did shows at night. and We got a hotel and did family stuff during the day. And I loved that. And Mm. that is what I would love to continue to do within the parameters of our crazy life. So, of course, I feel like this is a step. And so I want to immediately look, what's the next step? Mm -hmm. And where do I go from here? But I also have to take a second and be like, this is great where I am. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: So appreciate this spot and then leave yourself open to any future opportunities and just keep trying to improve. And then we'll go from there. Mm -hmm. But I'm not really in a position where I can say I'm moving to New York and mm-hmm. that's the next step for me or Chicago or anywhere. I'm here. My kids are going to school here. This is where I am. And I'm fortunate that Bloomington's about four hours from several major cities. Yeah, And so uh, there's a possibility that I'll I'll be able to continue to expand and things as we go. But it's really hard to make, make a a goal like that beyond what I've already achieved. So I want to just sit here and appreciate where I'm at. And Mm. then I do have some other things booked in January already that I'm excited about. And so I feel like I've leveled up a little bit and that's great, but I don't want to get caught in, caught up in what's next. That's good.
2: That's good. You mentioned that you write a lot. Do you have a schedule that you write or does it just all come to you and you stay up late writing sometimes?
1: Wildly wedging writing in every second. Like Anytime a thought enters my brain, I've got to put it somewhere. And Mm -hmm. so that means I've got notes in my note, app i have Mm -hmm. voice messages in my voice app Mm -hmm. i have three four notebooks (laughs) i have it's just everywhere manic craziness and if i get a second like that's where i'll put premises or just any moment but as far as sitting down and trying to flesh something out i do try to make time for that Mm -hmm. i can't always do that and then sometimes you do you sit down you're like i'm gonna write for half an hour right now and then nothing comes. Yeah. So, it's really just uh, as as the mood strikes me, and as I have a moment to scribble something while I'm sitting in the pickup line, or late at night, I wake up and write some stuff down, or whatever. It's just wherever I can fit it in.
2: And having all the mom material, and deciding that you want you don't want to be defined by the mom thing, even though that's part of you. How did you pivot? And be able to come up with other material that was actually good because it it feels to me like you're almost going back into the first stages of writing jokes when you first started when you decide, okay, I want to insert this part of my life into my act now. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was, I was fortunate in that I had already been doing it for a few years. And so I knew what my writing process was and the framework that I kind of work in, like how to structure a joke and just simple stuff like that. But then when I decided, okay, this is a huge part of me and it's hard for me to not just talk about my kids all the time because Mm -hmm. I'm a stay at home parent and they are what I think about 90% of the day. And so to try to force myself to look elsewhere, I'm like, okay, let's talk about my marriage a little bit. Let's talk about my husband a little bit. Let's talk about who I am and what I was like growing up and what the follies of that and the things that people can relate to or not in that. And so those are the kind of places that I initially looked and I will say, so during the pandemic, Mike Berbiglia, who I love, started a podcast, Working It Out, mm-hmm. where he was just on talking, working out bits mm-hmm. with comics. Um, I believe he's still putting out some new episodes, but a little less frequently. Mm-hmm. But I got so into that and the his process. And one of the things that he said that resonated with me was like, let's take the the worst thing that's ever happened to you mm-hmm. and write about that. Yeah. And find comedy in things that aren't funny initially. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I took that to heart and started looking back and I almost drowned when I was six. Mm -hmm. And it was a a pretty big event in my life, obviously. And I'm like, okay, this is a thing that is on its face, not funny at all. Uh So... What, where am I, where am I going to find funny in that? And it took me a while. It took me several weeks of me working through different parts of how it happened and my parents' reaction and how it's affected me in my life. And I wrote for the finals of the comedy festival in 2020, I wrote 10 brand new minutes all about that. Mm -hmm. And the whole thing was just, here's this horrible thing that happened to me. I'm going to spend 10 minutes trying to make you think it's funny Uh and that has been whittled down to um a seven seven minute bit six Mm. seven minute bit and where I rage about Oreos which (laughs) I will be doing at the and that was a huge exercise for me to be like okay I'm going to take this big thing and I'm going to figure out where my angles are, and then I'm going to beat it down, whittle it down, mold it, move it, turn it around. And I worked on that for a while, and it was really fun for me to be like, this is what I'm focusing on. That was huge to take that tack of being like, what's not funny? And mm-hmm. Let's go there.
2: And that's really it's really a good thing that you're, you're defining yourself as a whole person and not just – the, yeah, you you could almost get to be a character of a mom. You could be, you know, like a Roseanne yeah. Barr or something like that if, if you do it long enough. And that's all your material. So that's really good. I was going to ask you, your boys are old enough now that they, they probably know that mom does uh, some stand-up. Do, mm-hmm. What do they think of it?
1: My oldest is eight. So he is right there hanging out in between this is just a lame thing that my mom does uh-huh. and talks about. So I'm not especially interested in it, mm. but then also I want to know more about it. So he will ask me how shows go and ask me, he, he wants to know who did the worst.
0: Yeah, <laughs> He's like,
1: yeah. Who, what was a bad joke? Tell me one of the ones that was really bad. Yeah, I want to know, <laughs> <laughs> which is very funny, but yeah. And that's, and they have been to the comedy addicts. Greg Warren does this thing once a year. He doesn't a show for kids. Yeah. And it's so fun. And I took my, my son to that and he loved being there. He loved watching the comedy and stuff. And, um, he's a funny kid and I've, asked him about jokes before. I'm like, do you think this part is funny or is it funnier if I say this? Mm -hmm. And whether or not I listen to him is something else. My target audience is not eight year
0: olds,
1: (laughs) but but, yeah. And then my five year old gets, I'll say, I have a show and I'll be back Mm -hmm. after you're in bed and I'll come in. And so he knows that, but I don't think he fully understands any more than that. We did go to my dad's house and we were out in the garage and i was like oh and he saw the door up in the top of the garage the mm-hmm. roof and he said what's that and i said oh that's uh that's papa's attic and he goes oh papa i didn't know you had a comedy attic oh <laughs> the cutest Aww. and I'm like, yeah that's that's it that's where i hang out i <laughs> climb up one of those ladders and hang out with the christmas decorations
0: <laughs>
2: oh that's great so one of the things i like to ask everybody is what what do you know now about stand-up comedy that you wish you would have known when you started
1: so I think that my answer to that is going to sound uh, arrogant and it's gonna be nothing uh, it's gonna be <laughs> that I think everything I learned is in my own time, in the order that I needed to learn mm-hmm. it in. Mm-hmm. And I'm still that way. I wouldn't give myself any cheat codes now if I could, mm-hmm. because I'm in process. I'm always in process. Mm-hmm. I'm always thinking about how I can get better, how I can change the way I do things a little bit and whether or not that's going to work for me. And so if, if I were to go back, I wouldn't want to change anything, even just to say, you're not as good.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Let let that joke go. Uh That one that you want to work so bad, Uh just let it go. Yeah. I wouldn't even do that because I needed to learn that when I learned it. Yeah. And yeah, yeah, that, yeah. I'm not telling that lady anything. Yeah. (laughs) She can figure it out on her own. And that's one
2: advantage of starting when you're an adult because, let's face yeah. it when you're 18 or 20 or and starting you just you you don't have the life experience and and you've got such a huge ego i remember yeah. how i was when i was young if i would have started comedy when i was young i would have been just insufferable i would have been just just a total jerk and at the age we're at it's you can put pushy ego aside. And you could be a little bit more of a realist. So that's one advantage we
1: have, I think. Yeah. I think I like, I've considered doing improv in college and, and other things. And I, And I thought about it and I'm like, man, how great would it have been for me to get that extra time? Mm. I should have done that. I should have believed in myself a little bit more. I should have not been afraid of what that meant. I was trying to be so practical in college. This isn't going to serve me in developing Mm. a career. Like, what am I doing now? I, (laughs) (laughs) I, why didn't I just do the thing that, that felt like it was going to be fun. And, Mm. but then also I'm like, I landed where I am when I did. And it has worked out so well for me that I think if I would have started earlier, I would have had so many years of just being so bad yeah. and so insufferable mm-hmm. and so miserable because of it. Mm-hmm. Then I'm glad I got to where I was. And I was established of I've got a I've got a family. I had a job at the time. I had I've experienced rejection in many different forms yeah. already. Yeah. So things were able to roll off my back that I know would have deeply bothered me at 18 or 19. Yeah, no doubt. And I would have really had a hard time with. But now it's like I can't comedy drama <laughs> can't come home with me. No. I've got too much yeah. to do. And so I think that was helpful. But yeah, part of me will always be like, what if I'd have started back then instead of wasting all that time in college trying to be a journalist? Journalism? Yeah. <laughs> what is that even? Yeah. That doesn't even exist anymore. What was I doing?
2: <laughs> oh, that's great. What was the best advice you got when you were coming up doing comedy?
1: I remember very specifically. I was talking to my friend, Stephanie Lockbieler, who is mm-hmm. going to be hosting for me on Christmas Eve, who was supportive of me from day one. Like mm-hmm. I had seen her before. She saw me get up on stage one of the first times and she came up to me and was like, you got to keep doing it. Mm-hmm. And that was huge for me. But then she told me I was languishing. I said, I've been doing the open mic a bunch. I want to come on regular. I don't know what I need to do. And she said, you need to ask.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And I was like, what? And she's like, send an email and say, I want to do this and ask. Mm -hmm. And that would have never occurred to me Mm -hmm. to just ask for what you want. And if they say no, they say no. If they say you need more time, they say you need more time. But standing here, waving your arms, look at me, notice me, just hand me things is a waste of everyone's time. Yeah. So that was huge. I remember exactly where we were and we had that conversation. She was like, send an email. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, <laughs> right. And then I did, and I was hosting the open mic like three weeks later. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. what a- yeah. So just ask. That's be cool. Don't be a jerk to people and make yourself available and try to improve, keep your head down, and then ask for what you want.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: So, That's yeah. good.
2: That's good. Can you tell me a little bit about the podcast?
1: Uh yeah. So my best friend. Since we were nine years old, we grew up right next door to each other and we've been best friends all the way since living completely separate lives. like I came to go to college in Bloomington. She became a flight attendant, moved to Denver, lived out there. Now she has an alpaca farm in Ohio and I'm here. I played roller derby. I did comedy. I did. We live these just in insanely different lives, but we always have stayed close and it was mostly just calling each other and being like, man, I learned about this thing or I read about this thing. Let me tell you about it. And that's just always been our relationship. And I was like, I would like to do a podcast. And my first thought was with her because Mm -hmm. we're practically sisters. And I was like, let's just do what we always do. And just, talk to each other about stuff Mm. and so that's what we've been doing we've been doing it since april we have a different theme every week and we each have a topic and we take turns telling each other about it and it's been really fun and luckily as i mentioned it to her I was like, how would you feel about doing this? She was like, This is very well timed because my husband Tyler just decided he wanted to get into audio and video editing.
2: Oh, cool. Um, he,
1: he's he's a man of many hobbies yeah. and it was woodworking before this. And now he was like, Yeah, I'll produce the show. I'll do it. so. He does all the editing and posts it and just does yeah, everything. that's we great. Just show up and talk and yeah, it's uh it's been really fun to do.
2: What it takes to edit a podcast and do all the <sighs> Stuff it's a lot, and i I still have a yeah. farm mite out, and i I really need to, but I, yeah. I it's still my baby, and also, I don't like spending money on something yeah. that's just a money suck anyway, so I'll just keep doing it, I think,
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for the day that he's like, listened to you guys talk, yeah. <laughs> for hours every week while I edit this thing. I can't do it. I'm I hate both of you now. Yeah. <laughs> and so when that happens, we'll figure out something else. <laughs>
2: oh man it's been great having you on and uh, folks just go to the comedy addict.com and click on the event for new year's eve if you're a b-towner or somebody in the area you could live all the way to nashville indiana and still hit the comedy addict eight o'clock show and 10 30 show and the um podcast is it's on
1: passing all- notes with ashley and shanda and i feel like that was see this is how bad I am at promoting it that I didn't even say the name of it when I was talking about it. <laughs> well the, the funny thing is
2: <laughs> I looked up the podcast and I knew the name and I forgot it right when I asked you about it. so <laughs> that, that's age. But yeah. yeah thank you so much for being on the show and folks uh, go out and see her. I, I don't think I mentioned this at the top but I actually performed with Shanda in Mishawaka at the Midway Tavern on the show yeah. that John Handcuff was doing so I was appreciative of that and that you're the only you're the only one I've interviewed that I've been on a real show with. I've had a couple of them yeah? be at the same open mic as me, but that that you're the only one that's done a real show.
1: All right, we're old friends. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Thanks, thanks so much
2: right. for being on, and uh, I wish you the best of luck.
1: All right, thanks, Scott. Thanks mm-hmm. for having me.